you have me talking about Imam Malik rahimullah. I say unfortunately because I'm Hanafi. I don't, I didn't know much about Imam Malik. So I would like to thank them for giving me the opportunity to actually learn about Imam Malik rahimullah. And what an amazing character as the brother introduced. He was a giant amongst the scholars. So really, just before I start, inshallah, I just wanted to again. What we want to highlight is how he held on to the Sunnah and what it should mean to us. So we shouldn't take the stories of Imam Malik as just stories or bedtime stories, but rather we should see how can we implement it on ourselves and on society today, especially we're living at a time where the Rasul is being attacked. So with that, inshallah, we'll make a start and just a brief introduction to Imam Malik. His full name, okay, his full name was. Abu Abdullah Malik ibn Anas ibn Malik ibn Abi Amir ibn Amir Ab, ibn al-Harith ibn Ghainam ibn Kuthail ibn Amir ibn al-Harith Okay, this was his full name but short Imam Malik ibn Anas Rahimullah He also had kunyas like nicknames which was um, Sheikh of Islam, the proof of the community and the, the Imam of the abode of the immigration and this is just a brief point really about kunyas and nicknames, we should be careful what we nickname ourselves and what we give to our friends. You know what I mean? We've got nicknames given to our friends such as Biggie, Big Ed, you know I mean, Big Nose, Pum Pum, Hashbot. Seriously, bro, you'd be surprised. So a lot of these nicknames are given to our youth, yeah? And subhanAllah, on the, when your soul is separated from your body and the angel is carrying your body to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when on the way carrying the body, the angels ask, who do you have with you there? And the angels reply by the names that you are called in the dunya. So can you imagine the angel saying, I've got pum pum with me, I've got hashpo with me, do you know what I mean? Yeah? So inshallah, be careful the nicknames that we give each other. Really, we should be giving ourselves beautiful, good nicknames. With uh, the, whatever good characteristics that we have, we should be calling him by that, inshallah. That's just a side point. Prophet Muhammad wasallam. he actually prophesied the coming of Imam Malik, rahimullah. He said um, that there will come a time where people will be hitting the, um, the livers of their animal, i.e. whipping the animal to go fast. And they will go from the east, and they will go from the west, and they will not find anyone more knowledgeable than the alim of Medina, the knowledgeable man of Medina. And who is known today as the knowledgeable man of Medina? It was none other than Imam Malik, rahimullah. And all the scholars have actually said this hadith actually refers to Imam Malik. And Imam Malik, rahimullah, he had so much love for Prophet Muhammad To the extent he refused to leave Medina. He was born in Medina, he was bred in Medina, he gave dawah in Medina, and he died in Medina. The only time he actually left Medina was for an obligation, which was Hajj. Everyone has to fulfill this obligation of Hajj. And this was the only time Imam Malik, rahimullah, left Medina. And the, one of... And the, Another thing why he loved Medina was because Prophet Muhammad was buried there. And he didn't want to leave the place where Prophet Muhammad is buried. To the, to the extent, he actually didn't actually ride any animals. He didn't ride a horse, he didn't ride any camels, he didn't ride any donkeys, any form of transport. He didn't ride because he didn't want to ride on animals which is pattering on the ground where Prophet Muhammad is actually buried under. This is how much love that um, Imam Malik had for Prophet Muhammad and really, I just wanted to mention a point where I know you had a talk about it last week about the insults of Prophet Muhammad 
I mean, can you imagine Imam Malik being alive and him saying, staying silent? This is unimaginable. And really, it's, it's, an, it's, it's, it's an example to our Imams and Shaykhs to them who say to the Ummah, look, we should remain silent. It's impossible to remain silent upon the attacks of Prophet Muhammad Even Umar bin al-Khattab, uh, when he heard of the death of Prophet Muhammad he actually said that I will kill anyone who says Prophet Muhammad is dead. This is the words of Umar bin al-Khattab, the man whom Prophet Muhammad said that if there was a Prophet after me, it would have been Umar bin al-Khattab. And if a man like Umar bin al-Khattab, a man who's guaranteed paradise, can say I will kill everyone who says Prophet Muhammad is dead. You know what I mean? What are we? What are we? We should feel this anger and emotion about um, about the insults of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu But Alhamdulillah, Abu Bakr al-Siddiq took amirship, became the caliph, and he calmed the situation down. He even calmed um, uh, Umar bin al-Khattab and reminded him that look, Prophet Muhammad is is dead, but Allah subhanahu wa taala is alive. Is alive. That's just a side point, yeah. So Imam Malik, he was actually one of the first. Um, first ones to actually start collecting hadith. He was one of the first collectors of hadith. And his book was known as the Muatta and it was given like the name the golden chain of narration because the the narration the hadith that he narrated was very clear and the chains of narration can easily be linked back to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So yeah, this was what he was known for and his Muatta actually, Imam Shafi uh, uh, Rahimullah said um, after the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, There is no book better Than the Muatta This is how respectful the, They see the, 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 the book of Imam Malik So Just a little brief introduction as well Just to add I just want to sh- give you a brief introduction In how he looked like Because sometimes it's good to Imagine in your mind's eye What he looks like Because even when I was researching of Imam Malik I, I was playing it out in my mind, like a movie, yeah? Sometimes that's, that's just the way I like to do things, yeah? So Imam Malik, he was, an absolute, he was a man of absolute respect. His features were, he was a tall man, he had white chest, he was a strong-looking man, he had blonde hair, this is very strange for an Arab to have blonde hair, yeah? Blonde hair, blue eyes, and uh, he had his, his beard was up to his chest. And he used to always wear elegant clothing. And just on, again, on another side point, yes, he used to love eating bananas, yeah? He used to love, absolutely love eating bananas. And it's quite ironic that, you know, the Maliki Madhab actually is mostly in the African continent, the subcontinent, where a lot of, people, a lot of them like to eat bananas as well, yeah? A lot of people make that link. You know what I mean? I had a Somalian friend, he invited me to his house one time, and they gave me dal, you know, dal, yeah? And they, they put sugar in it. I couldn't understand why would they put sugar in dal, yeah? I couldn't, I couldn't eat it. But anyway... So this is Imam Malik rahimullah. Yeah? So as we know, brothers, we've, alhamdulillah, you brothers have come to the talk and you've put yourself in the path of knowledge. But always with everyone, there's always a spark in that mind that, that pushes you to come onto the path of knowledge. So what was the spark of Imam Malik rahimullah? The spark that led him onto the path of knowledge was two actually. One from his father and one from his mother. As like parents, they should work together as a, as a unit to teach their children, yeah? So the first part came from his father and there was an incident that took place, took place where um, it, his father was asking Imam Malik a question 
at a young age, I think it was the age of 10. And Imam Malik, he, he didn't know the answer. He didn't know the answer to the question and his brother came in and answered it. And then what happened was his father said, the pigeons have taken you away from knowledge. Imam Malik, rahimullah, basically he used to love playing with pigeons at a young age. I mean, nowadays obviously brothers play with computers and so and so, yeah. But back then, that was their form of entertainment, playing with pigeons. So he said, basically he's saying, the pigeons have taken you away from knowledge. So this left a scar in Imam Malik's mind. I, why, did I not, why did I not know the answer to that question? So this was the beginning stage of um, Imam Malik's thinking of um, I need to start changing. So really brothers, Allah, as I said, all of us have a general spark. And Allah, Allah gives us a spark. Sometimes maybe your father might pass away or your mother might pass away. Or sometimes you might see someone get run over. It could, the spark varies in different people. But once you get that spark brothers, Wallahi, it's important that you don't ignore that spark. Never um, cover that spark. Let it grow, inshallah. So this is just a brief introduction into Imam Malik. So now I just really want to show you um, Imam Malik Rahimullah's attitude in seeking knowledge. His attitude in um, sticking to the sunnah, yeah? In, in, in his quest for seeking data. So I mentioned the, the spark of Imam Malik um, that his father gave. But the second spark was actually from his mother that put him on the path of knowledge. So what happened was the, uh, his mother actually, as they say brothers, behind every man is a, is a successful, is a, is a woman, yeah? And in this case it was the mother of Imam Malik. So what she said to her son, look, I want you, I'm going to send you to uh, Medina, into the Masjid al-Nabawi, in, in the Mosque of the Prophet, to start learning from the great Fuqaha. And Imam Malik, rahimullah, he said to his mom, look, I don't want to become this. I want to become a singer, believe it or not. Imam Malik Rahimullah wanted to actually become a singer, yeah. And his mother, obviously, as a parent, you got a, it's the responsibility of a parent to put them on the right path. His mother had to use hikmah and wisdom and said, look, look son, for you to become a singer, not only do you have to have a good voice, you have to look good as well. And you, my son, don't look good. You don't have the, you don't have the looks to become a singer. SubhanAllah, for a, for a mother to say this to her child, to her child it must mean that she has something better for him. And she has to divert because he's still at a young age. He's about, he was about 10. He has to, the mind is like a sponge at that age. So you've got to divert the thinking to something better. So she was using Hikman wisdom to say that, look, even though he, had, he, was a, he was a very handsome, very good looking guy. I mean, blonde hair, blue eyes. And I mean, even the Kufar, they loved this. Hitler loved that. You know what I mean? That look. But anyway, so this, that was the second spark. And then what she done was, this is a very important thing, she, she bought really beautiful clothes, yeah? Like the clothes of a scholar, a nice big turban, and she dressed him in this clothing. And she's setting like a role model in his mind, she's instilling that, look, this is what I want you to become. So she dressed him in the clothes of a scholar, and she sent him away to Medina, just on his quest for knowledge. And we can draw many conclusion, um, lessons from this. I mean, today, our children are growing up here, I mean, what are they dressed in? Like Batman, Spider-Man clothing. I mean, all these nonsense clothing. What about if one of, one of our little brothers got a good voice singing X Factor, X Factor? You know what I mean? Here, put him on X Factor, become a pom-pom, yeah? You know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah, bro. So Wallahi, it's important that we give good, good role models to our children. Show them that, look, we want you to become this kind of scholar. We want you to become... And inshallah, we should start dressing them as well. Wear the clothes. 
So yeah, so that's one uh, one point, inshallah. So this started the quest and the love for Prophet Muhammad sallallahu in his quest for knowledge and seeking hadith and Quran memorization. So there was another story at a young age on the day of um, Eid. <coughs> Imam Malik rahimullah, unlike us, you know what I mean, our youth today, even our, if you remember back what we used to do, just hire cars on Eid, go up and down the same road, you know what I mean? This is what they used to do in Eid, but not Imam Malik rahimullah. He wanted to actually learn more on this day. So he went to his teacher, um, his name was Imam Zuhri rahimullah, on that day. So he went to his house and he was waiting outside to be ushered in. And he was waiting outside under the baking heat, under the baking sun, brothers, for, for, for hours upon hours. He's waiting for Imam Zuhri to, to usher him in. And eventually, he, even his sister used to complain actually about, look, he's because he was a white man who was becoming very tanned because he was used to wait outside, waiting for teachers. His sister complained to his father saying that, look, he's going to become ill if you don't say something here. So this is how much determination that he had to, you know, on seeking, seeking knowledge. So eventually, anyway, Imam Zuhri noticed him and said, come in. And Imam Zuhri, rahimullah, gave him some food. Because it is Eid at the end of the day. Because he thought that Imam, that Imam has come to his house for food. So he started giving him food, and then Imam Malik said, look, I don't, I'm not here for food, I'm here to learn hadith. So Imam Zuhri uh, said, okay, fine, I'll teach you hadith. So he taught him 40, 40 hadith. He taught him 40 hadith, and then after teaching him 40 hadith, um, he stopped. And Imam, Imam Malik said, what are you doing? I want to I I learn more. He said, um, what did he say? He said, zidni, zidni, teach me more, teach me more. Then Imam Zuhri said, look, learn the things that I've given you first. Learn all the hadith that I've given you first. And bear in mind, brothers, you know, back then, remembering hadith and learning hadith meant that you got, you got to remember all the chain of narration. Linking back all the way to Prophet Muhammad So you've got to remember all these guys that said that particular hadith. So it's not just about learning the hadith, the actual hadith. So then Imam Zuhri said, how can you have learned all that so quick? He said, okay, let's see if you've learnt it. Tell me what you've learnt. And then Imam uh, Malik, rahimullah, um, hadith after hadith, with all the chains of narration, he mentioned, he, he, he regurgitated, he mentioned all of the hadith in the correct way. And then Imam Zuhri, rahimullah, he said, he said, he was shocked at his ability of remembering the hadith. He said, Stan, you are, for indeed, you are one of the vessels of knowledge. And subhanAllah, indeed, he was one of the vessels of knowledge. So this was his attitude, really, brothers, in seeking knowledge. You know, nowadays when we go to talks and we go to lessons, the attention span of the youth is 15 minutes max. Then the phone comes out and then texting away, yeah? You know what I mean? And we're all guilty of this because there's so many things going on. But this was the attitude of Imam Malik. He was willing to wait under the sun, in the, under the baking heat, to learn hadith of Prophet Muhammad Because so this is how much love he had to, to seek knowledge for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's quite funny, brothers. You know, like, every famous person is known, is known for, like, a famous statement or a famous pose or something like that. So, for example, um, if you look at films like Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah? What's, the, what's his famous statement, bro? I'd be back, yeah? So you know, yeah? Um, Usain Bolt, what's his famous pose? Yeah? 
That's it. Immobile Farah, you know, uh, stupid mobile or whatever they call it, yeah? And then um, uh, Muhammad Ali, his one is, for me, I remember the sting like a bee, move like a butterfly. You know what I mean? Huh? Like a yeah, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, <laughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, but does anyone know in the room what Imam Malik's famous statement where he's known for? Okay, fair enough. I didn't know it either, bro. Um, no, not that. I mean, I didn't know either until I actually researched it. But his famous statement was, "I don't know." And Subhanallah, this is an amazing thing for a scholar to be remembered by. Even when I was asking a brother, when I was preparing a talk, I said, give me some examples about Imam Mali, I don't know anything about him. And he said, oh, the famous example of, I don't know, you should mention that. So everyone knows about this statement, I don't know. And this, this shows, Allah, this shows his sincerity, in a nutshell. Nowadays, you know what I mean, even brothers, they don't want to answer, every, they want to answer everything. Anything and everything, you know what I mean, yeah? So, I'll, I'll mention some of the examples that why, he is, why he's known. Um, for this famous statement. So one of um, Imam Malik's uh, students, he witnessed 48 questions being asked to him. And out of the 48, he only answered 16 questions, and 32 he said, La adri, la adri, I don't know, I don't know. So to say I don't know is half of knowledge. And the one that truly fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are the scholars. So this is one example. Um, of him mentioning the word I don't know, I don't know. And another um, famous statement is when Imam Malik, rahimullah, there was this, there was a student from Morocco, and he had a burning question in his mind, and he didn't know the answer to this question. So he went to the imams and the shaykhs in shaykhs in Morocco, and none of them knew the answer. And they said, look, go to Imam Malik, rahimullah. He knows the answer to this. Go to him. So he went. He travelled. Four months, brothers, yeah, because back then, you have to remember, there's no plane, there was no like speedboats, whatever. He had to travel on camel, horseback, whatever. So he traveled four months to Medina to seek the answer. And he got to Imam Malik, rahimullah, eventually, and he asked Imam Malik the question. And one of the customs and character of Imam Malik, rahimullah, was that he wouldn't utter any hadith, he wouldn't answer any question until he made wudu. This was his... Uh, one of his good deeds that he was used to do continuously, habitual. So he made, went to go and do wudu, done wudu, he came back and he says, he said, come back to me tomorrow. So the guy goes away, he comes back, and then Imam Malik Rahimullah says, I don't know. And the guy frustrated, Rabbullah, he traveled for four months seeking this answer. And he goes, look, what do you mean you don't know? <laughs> what am I going to tell my sheikhs? What am I going to tell my imams back home? They're waiting for an answer. And then Imam Malik says, tell your sheikhs, tell your imams that Imam Malik does not know. SubhanAllah, amazing, amazing point. He's willing to humble himself in front of sheikhs and imams, saying that, look, I don't know the answer to the question. And really, brother, wallahi, this is a very, very important lesson to us because, you know what I mean? When we engage in debate, when we engage in da'wah, brothers, wallahi, we have to be <coughs> sincere in our discussions. When we talk about Islam... Don't just go in there shouting and you might have the truth, but use hikmah and wisdom. You know what I mean? To try and when we give advice, the purpose of advice is to win the brother's heart. You can't win the brother's heart by shouting at him in front of everyone. You know what I mean? Or even if you're having a Facebook discussion, it's not about exposing the brother. You know what I mean? There's many you know what I mean, there's many recent examples where you've seen brothers trying 
He's trying to advise another brother in front of flipping 2,000 of his contacts on Facebook, yeah? This is not the adab of Islam. Even Imam Malik, rahmullah, he said, um, giving advice in public is to humiliate him. So really, we should follow the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad where we grab his hand, put him to our chest, and, say, and then give him nasiha when no one is around. He's more likely to accept what you're saying if it's the truth. But if you say in front of the people, then naturally he's going to re- retaliate, and he's going to retaliate in a bad way. So yeah, that was another example. Um, I'd like to move on to the last part of the talk, where I wanted just to show, just all this up until now, I'm just, I was just trying to highlight to you how Imam Malik, rahimullah, how his quest and how he used to, his attitude towards seeking knowledge and, the sun, and, and adapting the sunnah and his, in himself as an individual. But now I want to show you how his knowledge, in him seeking the knowledge, how it manifested in his behavior towards other people, especially how it manifested towards the caliphs, towards the khilafah, towards the rulers of his time. So there's one example during the time of Harun al-Rashid, um, where he wanted, um, he wanted Imam Malik to teach him and his children about Islam, because he was the best scholar at, in that era. So Harun al-Rashid wanted him. So he said, um, I want you to come to me, because he was based in Iraq at that time. The, the, the capital city of the, the Khilafah during the time of Harun al-Rashid was in Iraq. And he said, come to me. And as we said in the beginning, Imam Malik, he ain't going to move out from Medina for no one. Not even the Caliph. He said, he, he wrote back to um, the, uh, Harun al-Rashid, he said, look, I can't leave Medina because I have so many students under, under me that I can't, <clears throat> that I can't leave. Because they're, they're dependent upon me. So Harun al-Rashid, he was, he was a sincere, sincere caliph. He said, fine, I will come to you. So he traveled with his entourage to Medina. And he got to his palace in Medina. He wrote to Imam Malik. He said, look, I'm here. Come to my palace. Come and teach me and my children. And Imam Malik, rahmullah, he says, you come to knowledge. Knowledge doesn't come to you. This is the, this is the response of Imam Malik, rahmullah, and Harun al-Rashid receiving this, he got a bit frustrated. He got frustrated, but he said, Okay, fine, I'll come to, you. I'll come to your, your teaching places to, to learn with my children. But make sure there's not many people there. I just kick them out here so that me and my children can learn properly. And Imam Malik, he didn't reply to that. So Harun al-Rashid, he went, he went to um, Imam Malik's place and he found that there's thousands of students Imam Malik is teaching. And they knew the Caliph is there, bro, but no one wanted to give up their space. You know what I mean? Because they had such a quench, like, such a first for seeking knowledge that no one wants to give up their space, even for the Caliph. So Harun al-Rashid, subhanAllah, he comes with his entourage, he sees everything, he can't get past, so he says, okay, I'm going to sit at the back. So he sat at the back, and his, his, you know, his henchmen, his uh, bodyguards, they said, they got him a chair and said, look, at least sit on a chair again, so you can see what's happening. They felt sorry for him, basically. Isn't it? So he sat down, Arun Rashid, the caliph, the caliph, he sat down on the chair. And then what happened was, if I can find the hadith, yeah, so Imam Malik, he sees him sitting on the chair where everyone else is sitting on the, on the floor. And then he mentions the hadith indirectly, yeah, he says, um, it's hadith Qudsi, he said, he who humbles himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this, and he went all the way to the ground, um, will elevate himself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like this. And Harun al-Rashid, he got it straight away. He's busy sitting on a chair. 
is elevated from all the other crowd. He got his chair and he chucked it away, and he sat on the ground, just like all the all the all the like all the other people. So this is just highlighting that Imam Malik, rahimullah, he wasn't afraid of the the caliphs, and he had a, he had actually a good relationship with Harun al-Rashid anyway. But he wasn't afraid of the caliphs, and he will always speak the haq and teaching them the sunnah of Prophet Muhammad because they are the Amir al Mu'minin. The Caliph is the Amir al Mu'minin. If, if the Imam, if the Shaykh, the most knowledgeable Shaykh doesn't correct the rulers, then the whole Ummah will go astray. Do you see? The Shaykhs and the, and the Caliphs, they have to work like a unit and they have to love the Rasulullah and his actions. So this was one. And another time where he always used to address the Caliphs by saying the following. He used to say to the Caliphs, O um, Amir al Mu'minin. Allah said, O oh, you who believe, do not raise your voice over the Prophet. Then he started giving nasiha and advice to the caliphs. And he's saying to them, look, you are not allowed to raise your voice over the Prophet. So don't raise your voice over me, because I am speaking hadith, and I am speaking what the Rasul says. So he's telling the caliph, don't interrupt me when I'm giving you nasiha. So this is the hikmah, this is the respect that Imam Malik Rahimullah had. And Wallahi brothers, you can draw so many conclusions to today's scholars here. Yeah? You know what I mean? Scholars for dollars, whatever you want to call them here. Yeah? Even in Egypt recently, where you see is the ruler asking, look, can you legitimize um, riba for me? Find a fatwa, find a hadith, find the Quran, find the ayah, somewhere, I don't care how you do it, try and legitimize, make riba halal. It's complete opposite, man. Complete opposite. And they can learn so much so much from Imam Malik Rahimullah. So, and there was another actually, another example um, during the time of another caliph. What happened was, the, the governor of Medina at that time, he was actually forcing people to vote for him. Physically, using violence, forceful method. Maybe if you want to imagine it, just look at Bangladesh, what they do during the time of when vote come, voting time comes, yeah? And they were forcibly falsifying um, uh, votes from the people. And the people were scared at that time. But the people saw Imam Malik rahimullah, as, a save, as a savior. So they went to him and they asked him a question which had a political motive behind it. They asked him, um, Ya Imam, if a man was forced to divorce his wife and he divorced her, does the divorce count? So you can see the political motive behind it, yeah? They're saying that, you know I mean, we're being forcibly to vote for this, um, this governor in, in Medina. Does, does the vote count? So Imam uh, Malik, he replies by saying that, Imam uh, Malik Islam, nothing is valid out of force. This was his response. So he's been clear cut in his answers. He's not scared of anyone. But what happened was the caliph at that time, um, it wasn't Harun al-Rashid, it was another caliph. Um, Imam Malik, rahimullah, he actually lived for 90 years here, yeah? and he witnessed 13 different caliphs in his era. He was the only out of the four imams that witnessed so many caliphs. So it was another one, it was another caliph. And he actually wanted that governor in place. So he was in, probably he was in favor of him using whatever methods possibly to come in. So he said he sent an order to Imam Malik rahimullah saying that I don't want to hear this verdict that you're saying about the you know the divorce verdict. I don't want you, I don't want you to, I, would, I don't want you to say this again. 
And Imam Malik's response was clear. He says, I cannot conceal knowledge if I know it. Simple answer back to the Caliph. I'm not going to conceal it. I don't care who you are. If it's the truth, it's the truth. And I will say it. And this angered, this angered the authorities at that time. And they actually sent spies to spy on Imam Malik's classes. And to the point where the spy himself, he actually asked the same question to Imam Malik. Rahimullah, and he answered the same way. He said, um, nothing is valid out of force. And this, again, he angered the governor of that time. And they actually, the order came to actually arrest and to take Imam Malik rahimullah, away. And at this time, subhanAllah, what happened was they actually, the authorities actually beat Imam Malik rahimullah, so much to the point that his arms became disabled. His shoulder was actually dislocated at this point. He couldn't even pray. This is why at that, during that period, he used to pray with his arms down. And you know, some, some of the, the Maliki Madhab actually allows. Some say that um, praying the arms down, he only happened after he got beaten. So it can't be valid. So, but I actually asked the staunch Maliki yesterday, because I wanted to know for myself. But apparently that was the custom of the Medinan people where they used to pray the hand down. Allah alim. That's, that's, that's their madhab. That's, they, they have evidence for it. But anyway, so as I said, he got beaten so much to the point that his arms became disabled and he couldn't move it for months. But anyway, the Malik, his students, after finding out about what happened to Imam Malik, because all of a sudden he went missing, his students found out and they, they, re, they, they, they instigated a revolution. A, re, a, re, a revolution occurred. And the Caliph, he, got, he became so scared because his students were so passionate in saving him the Caliph himself had to come out of, um, I think it was Iraq he was based in. He had to come out of the capital, come to Medina, and he had to physically apologize to Imam Malik. He said, I didn't know that this was taking place. I didn't know that the governor was actually, that he took you away and beat you. And he apologized and calmed the situation down. So this was Imam Malik, from giving dawah to individuals, from giving dawah to the public, from giving dawah to the caliphs and the only reason why he does it because he loved Prophet Muhammad he loved his example and he loved sticking to the sunnah regardless of how tough it becomes and wallahi I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we have scholars of the caliber like Imam Malik rahimullah for, because for indeed we are in need of such scholars today so really this is Imam Malik's life and as I said, he lived for 90, 90 years, and just near, near about to his death, what happened was um, the Imam Shafi's mother, actually, she actually had a dream that the greatest scholar has died, and she thought it was her son, so she went looking for her son, yeah, and then she found her son, and she told him about the dream, and Imam Shafi, rahimullah, just automatically said, oh, Imam Malik has died, and he was, and Imam Malik did die. SubhanAllah. So he, this is how this is the caliber. Is it no, no wonder he was known as the Imam of Medina? And he died by saying um, on his deathbed he used to say, Ya Allah, Ya Allah, all the forgiveness of Allah, all the forgiveness of Allah. So I pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we are on our deathbed that we can utter the same words. We the words that we utter on our deathbed is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <coughs>
So inshallah, this is, brings me to an end. I hope I was able to show you how he loved Prophet Muhammad and how he was able to do, manifest this into his actions in different scenarios. And just to end, brothers, let's mention a few quotes from other scholars, the other great scholars, the, the, the four um, giant scholars, the three were remaining. Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah, said about Imam Malik, rahimullah, he said, I have not seen a man more quicker to accept the truth than Imam Malik. And this is an amazing point because Imam Malik and Imam Abu Hanifa actually, they had a bit of beef. They didn't agree on quite a few things here. But when they actually met, they were able to clarify um, the, the positions and they, the respect for both of them actually grew. Um, Imam Shafi, rahimullah, again, <coughs> he said about Imam Malik, rahimullah, he said, after the book of Allah, the Quran, there is no book better than the Muatta, i.e. the book that um, Imam Malik, rahimullah, um, compiled. And then Ahmed bin Hanbal, rahimullah, he said, I was asked whose hadith should be memorized by, by heart, if from anyone. I, re I replied, uh, Malik ibn Anas. So this was the viewpoint from the other great scholars. So inshallah, brothers, we take lesson from the, story, the stories of Imam Malik ibn Anas. And just before I end, just a short, short story. Um, there was a young man at the age of 13 years old. He was told by his mother, My son, you are now well known. You have memorized the, the whole Quran. You have memorized hadith. And you have memorized poetry. I want, I want to send you to Imam Malik to learn his other before you learn his knowledge. And then she got him ready, just like the mother of um, Imam Malik, as we explained. She got him ready and sent him out. Now this is another mother um, getting the 13-year-old boy ready to send him out to Imam Malik to learn. She then wrote a letter to Mecca, who was her cousin basically, the governor of Mecca, who was a cousin, asking him to, to intercede, to write a letter to the governor of Medina, to intercede for her son to be enrolled into the school of um, Imam Malik. And she sent him out, and Imam Malik, uh, this little boy, had the letter, he took it to the governor of Medina, and the governor of Medina, he read the letter from the governor of Mecca, and he, he started sweating, started getting a bit... You know what I mean? Boshi. And then he said, By Allah, if you had told me to go out in the baking sun, bald-headed, it would be much easier for me than to go to the house of Imam Malik. Because <laughs> what he read in the letter. So anyway, the, and the boy innocently says, you don't have to go to him, let him come to us. He's a boy, isn't it? You know what I mean? Little boy. So he innocently said that. And then the Imam of... Um, the governor of Medina started laughing. He said, no, let's go to Imam Malik. So they went to Imam Malik, Malik's house. They asked for Imam Malik. And Imam Malik, rahimullah, he came. He came and the governor of Medina got the letter and just gave it to him straight. He didn't, he didn't want to speak to Imam Malik because Imam Malik was a character. So anyway, he, he reads the letter and... Um, Got it here somewhere. So yeah, he reads the letter and then he throws the letter away and is he goes, Has it come to this that we need contacts to for knowledge now? i.e. the governor of Medina and so on and so. And the boy he 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 says 
la hawla wa la quwwata illa billah and then he says ahnu yash ahnallahu ya shaykh may allah straighten the path of the shaykh then he continues he says i am qureshi he's trying to get the attention of the imam malik he's saying i'm qureshi i'm the lineage of the prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam i've memorized the quran at the age of 7 and i've memorized your muatta at the age of 10 i the book of imam malik my mother sent me to learn from you and then imam malik shocked at what he was saying here. he looked at him and said ya ghulam itaqullah fear allah and stay away from sins if you do not if you do so there will be something of your future if you apply these two advices so i pray to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we are able to actually apply the same advice and just at the end does anyone know who this boy was mashallah who said that who said Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so this was Imam Shafi. This is an introduction to next week's t- topic. Imam Shafi, I'm think the brother here who <laughs> given it. Jazakallah khair brothers for listening. I hope it wasn't too long but to condense the whole story of Imam Malik into, you know I mean, half an hour, 40 minutes is impossible. We barely scratched the surface today. Jazakallah khair. Uh